Welcome to Crime Talk BK. Uh, we're your hosts, Joanna Perpich and Megan Duffy. Good morning, my love. Good morning. How are you doing today? It's been a week, girl. Do tell. Oh, work has been maddening. Our judicial system, our DOJ has been completely fucking compromised. I've cried over that. Over the DOJ? The rule of law is crumbling before our eyes. Well, I can think of one thing that is probably somewhat annoying to you, but cheers me up a lot. What's that? Cat stroller. Oh, yes. I'm on cat stroller. You know what? 
I need to get a hold of our social media and I'll post a picture of me in a cat stroller today. Uh, so just for uh, our listeners who might not be familiar with the trials and travails of um, your cat babysitting duties. My, my sister is selling her ha- apartment in Brooklyn and she works on Saturdays. So I go and because she has open houses on Saturdays. So I go and pick up the cat, put him in a stroller and then go to a bar. Or if it was warmer, I would roll around the hood with him like I did the last time. We, it's just too cold. It's like 20 degrees today. Yeah. So last time I went to pet, I brought him into Petco and I went to Barnes and Noble and I went to Starbucks. Are people really excited when they see the cat? In they the either. Yeah. They look at me like I'm that eccentric, crazy woman that I am, but it's not my cat. <laughs> um, or they're utterly delighted that there's a cat in a stroller and they're, they just come up to you and be like, oh, my God, that's so cute. I think I would turn into a puddle, like if I saw like a grumpy looking cat he's in a, a stroller, and it's one of those mesh strollers too, right? So we can't jump out. Yeah, it's fully meshed. It's uh, the panels are camouflage. Um, he's a gorgeous, full blooded Abyssinian who's about thirteen years old. He's just he I, he looks at everybody with just like this look of love. He's just like I'm so happy to be alive, and uh, I mean he's just. Uh, He's a magnet for attention. He's so beautiful. Does he have an Instagram account? No. That's a real shame. His name, is, could... his name is Ziggy. Oh, my God. I know. He's just a fucking delight. I just looked up what an Obsidian cat looks like. They're, like, very, like, sleek and tan with these, like, cute ears. Yeah. They're typically thinner, a little bit smaller, um, and they're usually, like, that Gorgeous, sort of reddish brown. So no chub chub. No chub chub. Um, I think he weighs about like eight pounds. That's really cute. Which is so, half the size of my Panthers that I have at my house. So my next question is: Is who bought the stroller? Is this like your sister's stroller, or did you buy a stroller for this cat? I bought the strollers for my cats to take them to the vet, which is only across the street from my apartment. So you just, I just put them in. And then roll across the street, right? Like, that's that's why I bought it. Yeah. Uh, when she told me she was having open houses, I have since lent it to her. But now that Zig, because Ziggy's taken over, like, my girls will never sit in that thing again. So I'm like, you're going to have to buy me one now. Does, do you just walk your cat sometimes? You just take, like, it's like a nice breezy day. Oh, no, I do not take my cats outside in it. It's strictly for vet visits. Do they not like it? No, they don't like it. Oh, See, okay, so um, there was like half a second when I was in denial over my horrible cat allergies. Yes. And um, my, um, and Ash and I were thinking about getting a cat. His, yeah. His family has this like. There are some hypoallergenic ones, but. Mm. Oh, no, we were going to get Teddy from Louisiana. We were going to bring him oh, that's up right. here. That's right. You tell me about that. Because he got like into a brawl with a coyote. Oh. No, this cat is like. So tough. Sometimes I'm really glad that he only weighs 10 pounds because if not, he would have like eaten everybody by now. (laughs) Like he. Yes. They will eat your face if you're sleeping. He's very sweet, but he like does not mess around. Um, But he's an outdoor cat. And hence the coyote run in. Yeah, you can't. It's hard to transition outdoor to indoor. Yeah. Well, clearly it didn't work because we thought it would not be best for Teddy or for me. But um. 
There was a second where I was like looking up cat harnesses online. I'm like, let's just bring Teddy to like Central Park at midnight. We'll give him like a 500 foot long uh, leash and just like. I know, but what if he gets to the top of the tree and he's on the leash? Like, what are you going to do? Yank him down? No. Well, at least you can find him. <laughs> You're just going to be standing there for hours. And then he might get stuck. No, I was going to say, Ash is climbing up that tree and rescuing <laughs> that cat. Like, Okay. We'll bring a ladder on every walk so yeah. that we can rescue him. That's yeah, your, your baby bag. Fire department on <laughs> speed dial. <laughs> Jesus. Just imagining myself with like a six foot ladder and like the subway and like a cat with inside this bag mm-hmm. like swung over my shoulder. I was, yeah. So I was thinking about, because today's really cold, I was thinking about getting like one of those papoose things, like <laughs> a baby hugger thing and just have him sort of, I know, I know I'm the... But he's little, so I could just keep him under my coat instead of this whole stroller thing. Have you heard of sugar gliders? Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Paris Hilton. (laughs) She adopted one back in the day. And I was like, that's a wild animal. That's so sugar gliders are kind of like these like large hamster looking squirrel type things. They're like a flying squirrel. Yeah. But they're supposed to bond with you if you keep it close to your skin. And so when you buy a sugar glider baby, they have this, uh, what do you call it? Like papoose? A papoose? It's like, like this like pouch that goes against your chest under your shirt. Okay. And you're supposed First to put all, your sugar glider in don't it. Don't buy a sugar glider. Don't. Please don't. But I had a friend um, from high school who, when we were in college, really wanted a sugar glider. And she was looking into it. And her pitch to her parents was that she could take it to class with her. And nobody would know because you can get the pouch and it lives under your shirt with you. Right. Because no one's going to know. What if it poops? No one's going to know. Don't buy a sugar glider. Please leave them they're where they are. They're very cute, but they're, leave them where they are. They're good. They can be in the rainforest. Anyway. Okay. Announcements. Do you want to do announcements this week? Oh, God. Okay. I should have run the board instead. Uh, it is our drive to five fundraising campaign. We're turning five years old in May. We need to raise $25,000. So please give us $25,000. Mike Bloomberg, please support Radio Free Brooklyn. I mean, since you're doling out all this money, uh, we need that money to stay on the air for another five years, ad free, commercial free, blah, blah, blah. Um, and because we think raising money should be entertaining, um, <laughs> we bring we bring you listeners fun challenges and some cool prizes. And this month's challenge is a quiz to find out just how well you know Bushwick. The top five scorers will win a limited edition five year anniversary RFB t shirt. You can take the quiz, make a donation, or find out more about Radio Free Brooklyn at uh, at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash drive to five. Also, if you want to be on the air, maybe if you're nice to us, call in 718-673-8201 and leave us a message telling us why you love Radio Free Brooklyn and to wish us a happy birthday. Well, there you have it. Uh, I I will say you sounded like very depressed when I handed that flyer to you. <laughs> I'm just generally depressed this week. So it has nothing to do with you or the announcements or anything else. No. 
The First Amendment is under attack. The Department of Justice Center is completely fucking corrupt. So let's just move on and talk about something lighter, like a serial killer or a sex cult. Yeah, you want to talk about a college sex cult? Let's do it. It actually is a very depressing story. Let's do it. All right. Uh, everybody, buckle in. Um, content note at the top of our show. This is about, um, well, a sex cult involving not minors, but some very young people. Young ladies at college. And I think some young men. And a men. guy, too. And yeah. Men, yeah. And so um, we completely understand that this is not the topic for every listener. Yeah. If this isn't your show, go back through our archives. Yeah. You can hear everything else that we've done so far. All right. Um, now that that's over. Also, if you want to, like, call in to talk about how insane this is, um, our call-in number is 718-928-9732. Again, 718-928-9732. Word. All right. So, Sarah Lawrence sex cult. This is... A crazy story. Yeah, it is. Uh, so it. Um, I'm going to start with the news element to this, and then I'm going to go back and talk a little bit more about how this happened. How it all happened. Because it's like insane. Yeah. No, it's totally insane. I might have an addendum if you don't cover it. Oh, mm. okay. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> all right. So um, Lawrence Ray. Is uh, he uh, this week entered a not guilty plea on Wednesday? He's facing charges of sex trafficking, extortion, forced labor. Um, let me see what else. Uh, he allegedly extorted five hundred thousand dollars from his victims over a decade. Holy shit! Yeah, from the students. Yeah, from oh their my. families. Holy shit. And uh, so, I'm so glad I didn't read it. <laughs> like, oh, no, know. it is like, no, I, I'm glad I didn't read it. So you could tell me about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> like I read the article that came back. It came out in like April of last year and I read it and I have, and that's what I sent to you. So like, tell, tell me. Oh, tell me. I thought you sent me one that's like more recent. Well, I sent you, I sent you the recent one and I was like the New York magazine did a huge article. Yeah. On so the, last but year. you read the New York mag one. Yeah. So that's like what I'm getting my stuff from. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, Lawrence Ray, our main bad guy, he's 60. Uh, he basically like moved in with his daughter at Sarah Lawrence and like took over their dorm and started a sex cult. Yeah. And let's, the dorm, I believe, is like, it's like a suite, right? So there's, yeah. like, there's like a, a main room with kitchen and then there's like satellite bedrooms. Yeah. So it's like a two-story, I think it's like 11 bedrooms mm-hmm. or like 11 people in the building. It's like in the middle of campus. Mm-hmm. Like he's like not shining. This is a dorm. And um, yeah, so there's like a kitchen, living, dining room area, you know. Um, kind of like the bougie dorms that colleges these days are starting to get. I'm yeah, like, that's not what I had. But Okay. <laughs> yeah, he just came for a visit and then just never left. Yeah. Um, so the NYPD and the FBI have actually been working, uh, to pin this guy down. And, um, so the crazy part that really, uh, raised my eyebrows with this is, is that during his arraignment, uh, when he entered his not guilty 
Exactly. Two of his victims went with him to the courthouse. Oh, dear. Uh, and so the um, women who showed up uh, were Isabella and Felicia. And they're both, like, Isabella especially was, like, really She's... involved okay. in really horrible ways. So that's going on. Not his um, daughter, though. Oh, he had 10 people, actually, um, who called themselves students show up at the courthouse to support him. Any of Anyone, his daughter? Did his daughter show up? No, I didn't see his daughter's name. Um, I don't, I hope she's doing okay. Let me see. So the two women are Isabella and, yeah, and Felicia are the, are the named ones. Okay. And um, reporters with the New York Post very doggedly tracked down some of Ray's neighbors and said that they had seen these two women like in and out of his house leading up to the the trial. Oh god. So they are still like right there with him. Typical cult mentality. Oh yeah. This is like it was like impressive to read the New York Mag article because you can literally see the different steps towards him forming this cult. Yeah. Cuz it really does feel so incremental cuz it's like broken down by semesters. Mhm. So there's a real like start line for his um, like increased behavior. Sure. Which I thought was interesting. All right. So now that we have like the like bottom line sex cult. Oh, wait, one more thing. Authorities seized 20 to 40 electronic devices from Ray's home, including some that just straight up belonged to his victims. They also found his journals where um, Ray, like, directed them to write, um, quote, sensitive and incriminating things. First of all, who has 50 electronic items in their home? He's just collecting computers and phones. I don't even, like... Number one. Number two, so you're telling me that he made people write shit down in these journals? Or was he journaling himself? Oh, no, he made them write it down. It, like, goes into the cult thing. Okay. So it, was, it like, wasn't one of like his him going, stages. oh, today no, I manipulated no. blah, blah, blah. It was, no. Into no, giving so me $25,000. What he would do is um, fairly, like, late in the brainwashing process, mm-hmm. he had, like, this, like, house. All the kids had been cut off from their family at this point. All of their, like, relationships had been broken with, like, their friends or their boyfriends or whoever. Classic. He, like, has them, like, fully under his control. He's telling them when to eat, what to eat, when to leave. Went well, to this sleep. totally rings up to Nexium, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. So the journals are the collateral. Sort of. So what he would do is he'd have these like really, like if you did something wrong, it would be stuff kind of like, I broke a dish, you know? And he would sit you down and like stare at you like in a group, like you're in the middle of this circle or something. Everyone's staring at you. And he's like, clearly you breaking this dish is because of some underlying trauma. And if for like hours, it would just be like this relentless questioning with these kids. Mm-hmm. And so this one guy was just kind of like, I don't know. I made up that my dad abused me. So he would stop asking me these questions. And so then after you confess, he takes you alone and he makes you write in the journal, like what you did and why you did it. And like all this information about yourself. Oh, God. And um, prosecutors actually said that when they read the journal, the entries were so similar because he's, like, feeding these stories to them during this, like, pseudo-therapy session. Right. And the kids are just making stuff up. To, for, to be left alone. But, like, they believe it, too, some of the time. Well, so it's, will, like, power you, of suggestion. There's, there's power of suggestion, but then if you're, if you're constantly submitted to that kind of environment, 
and he's hammering it in your head and lack of sleep, lack of food, lack of all those things, your brain starts to go wonky and you actually believe these things that you're telling him. Yeah. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a very powerful uh, environment that he's created in order to control these kids, which is why they all fucking showed up at court with him, right? Yeah. I was very surprised when I saw that. Also, he hasn't been tried yet, so I think for the sake of, like, not being sued, we have to say allegedly. I'm There's pretty sure, strong evidence. we can say allegedly, but... I'm just, like, doing that, like, footnote in here. Sorry, before the show, we were talking about... Um, a number of things. Litigation, and uh, now I'm all paranoid. No, don't, don't worry about that. But, but you know what? If it's allegedly... I mean, this these articles are going back to last spring, a yeah. year ago. So, yeah, allegedly, <clears throat> but... But really, but articles had witnesses that were there, had people that were living in that place. So we can say allegedly, but there are witnesses on record that have already said this happened. So he's like allegedly like Harvey Weinstein's allegedly. By the way, the jury's out on Weinstein. Keep your fingers crossed. (sighs) Okay, I like pull back together. All right. So many heart palpitations this week because of everything. Like it's just. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, okay, keep going, keep going. Uh, so, um, that's basically like where we are currently with this story. Is Larry Ray is in court? Those are like the allegations against him and kind of the damage done, right? Um, so where did it all begin? All right, <clears throat> flashback, flashback, flashback. So Larry Ray is a professional con artist, basically. And um, when the story sort of starts, at least in the New York Mag article, he, uh, his daughter, Talia Ray, is going to Sarah Lawrence. Mm-hmm. She grew up, like, in and out of, like, the foster system. Like, um, she had been, like, raised partially by her grandparents because she believes that her mom was abusive. And her dad, like, swoops in, saves the day. He's, like, defending his family, um, like, some sort of, like, argument or fight or something escalates. And uh, Larry gets thrown in prison because this isn't, like, actually a quote, but, like, sort of, quote, everyone's out to get me. Right? Oh, God. And so when Talia, like, goes to college, she's, like, living in this dorm, as we were saying earlier. It's more like a, like a large, suite-style communal housing, mm-hmm. but it's, like, on campus, middle of campus. And she has, I think it's like 10 roommates. And she's just telling them like these stories about her dad is her hero and he has like sacrificed his life. Okay, let's just roll back two sentences. Mom's awful. Yeah. Dad's the hero? Yeah. Okay. Any manipulation going on there at all? Oh, yeah. Right? For sure. Just put it on record. Yeah. Move on. Um, no, it is like weird, like how she talks about her dad and she's like starting to spew his like conspiracies about like, cause his dad is like, her dad's like a veteran and he would, she would tell them stories about how like used to be a spy, like in like Afghanistan or something. No, he was not a fucking spy in Afghanistan. No, he wasn't. <laughs> he may have been in the military, but he was not no fucking hero spy girl. Roll it back. Yeah. And so, but like, these are like the stories that he's feeding her. So she's telling her friends. He's like. 
international hero. Oh, and international so, man of mystery. When he gets out of prison, she's like, Dad, come stay with me. Oh, Jesus Christ. And he moves into the dorm. And then, yeah, he's supposed to stay a week and he stays forever. But it's like her friends are all like, oh, of course, like, until he gets back on his feet. And also, all right, so a little bit about Sarah Lawrence. I don't know anything about Sarah Lawrence. I have a friend who went there, and I, I think this is very true. Sarah Lawrence is, it kind of reminds me of like Reed, but on the East Coast. What's Reed? Reed is like a very, well, okay, never mind. It's like this like crunchy Portland school, and everything is very like alternative and artistic uh. and like feelings. Ugh. I went to one. I'm allowed to like criticize the crunchy schools. You can, and I will <laughs> criticize them because like, you know, tits out ladies, the real world is a little harder than that shit. Come on. But it's not that. It's just kind of, it's like all of these like very like sensitive, like nerdy academic kids just trying to like find their people. And if I feel a little defensive. I'm all about finding your people. And if it means going to a college like that, that's fine. But really. No, it's not the real world. It's not. It's not the real world. Um, College is not the real world. But it's like. For anybody. But it's like the the kids that want to go to Sarah Lawrence want to like lay on a hill in the sun and. um, Why? Who doesn't want to do that? Read poetry. Okay, not that. You know, I hiked up to the side of the mountain to read the um, the Iliad my freshman year. Like that type of. Oh, okay. I hiked up to the hill (laughs) and brought a cooler of booze and my sorority sisters that we talked about the last time I was here and we you know like we just it was the 80s we didn't do anything <laughs> talk like, smack but like Sarah Lawrence is kind <laughs> of a school it's known as being kind of a school for dreamers sure and um, on top of that the kids that were in this particular dorm tended to also be quite vulnerable like um, several of them were like very depressed one of them, um, who's going to be one of the like main characters, Daniel, uh, was kind of starting to question his sexuality potentially. Mm-hmm. One of the kids had just gone through this like really horrible breakup. Uh, sorry, we're getting some music from the heavens during this. Actually, it's the bathroom cleaner. That was really funny. Okay. Um, no one on air can probably even hear that just to explain our distraction. Yeah. And so basically like Larry like swoops into these, dare I say, impressionable youth with his like daughter who like worships the ground he walks on. And Larry's like, I'm going to tell you what's up. He starts, he like buys them all this, um, like takeout. He's cooking steak dinners. Booze. Probably booze, but he doesn't really, they don't mention it in the article, but he like just kind of like becomes like not only like the father figure, but like the father figure. The you know? father. Like, yeah. Or little orphan Annie is dreaming of this guy to swoop in and save her life. All type 10 of, of them. Type of dad. Yeah. All 10 orphan Annies. And, um, <clears throat> and he's like telling stories about how he used to be like some sort of like government agent for the CIA. Nope. That's why CIA is you don't fucking talk about the CIA if you've actually worked in the CIA. Oh, so I actually know someone who I'm pretty sure did work in the CIA. Has they been retired for the last 20 years or was outed as a CIA agent? Yeah, like he's Ballard been retired. Um, so we think that he worked during um, the Cold War. And after that, he went into academia. Yeah. 
But like when he talks about it, he doesn't actually talk about it. But you can like tell that no, he's talking about it. No, you work for the State it. Department, or I work for this, or I work like the. Only- yeah. So what he'll say is, he's like, he's like, oh, you know, well, I was working in a think tank for the State Department, right. and I just happened to be in Russia while it was under lockdown. The only person that currently <laughs> that I know of that says I was in the State Department was, or that I worked for the CIA was Valerie Plame, who was outed by the Bush administration, who said she worked for the CIA. They completely pulled her cover. So that's the only person that I can really say for sure worked for the CIA. But like it was but like the way that he would talk about it is he would be talking about he's like, oh, well, I met this one author. And it's like not all about any sort of spy stuff. But when you look up the author, you're like, oh, they wrote in Russia for exactly two and a half years and then they were disappeared. Right. And so it's like in order for him to know them, he would have had to have been actually there. been in the CIA. Not like this, like bullshit. I was on a mission, jumping out of a helicopter. This shit. is such a this is such an American, <laughs> con, uh, manipulative control white man thing. I was in the CIA. I was in the F. I'm in the FBI. It's like it's not true. Like if someone tells you that they work for the CIA, mm-hmm. don't fucking believe it. Yeah, so this guy is like from the beginning is like being weird and like the boyfriend of one of the girls, I think even his daughter, the boyfriend was just like, "Hey, why is your dad living in your dorm?" Red flag, red flag, red flag. So it's funny because like people outside of the house are definitely like starting to notice, but it's like everyone in the house is like, "It's fine, whatever," and they're like, "Okay, all right." So then, escalation one. Dun dun dun. Uh. Larry begins to move in on this one girl, Isabella. Isabella is one of the people who went with him to court. Yep. And she is going through, I think it's like some depression or some mental health stuff that is like quite serious. Like she should be at a therapist. And one of the housemates in this article even says that. It's Uh. like, she should have been in therapy. But like Larry. Fucking Larry. But he has this like way about him where it's very like pseudo psychoanalyst and so i think that these kids actually felt like they were talking to a therapist and later well, because on he's in the cia and he's got all of these sure. craft things that he should probably know about that stuff too but then, and i'm not this yeah. is this is not victim blaming i am not i am blaming him for all of these things mm-hmm. for sure but then even daniel like he gets out eventually he's like the one kid and was he, he living there yeah he was okay Oh, this is like years and years later. He yeah, gets out, like yeah. after the arrest. And he said that he tried to go to therapy and he couldn't do it because the therapist's approach was so similar to Larry's that it was super triggering. <gasps> oh. Yeah. So he eventually found a support group for people who have escaped cults. And that's kind of where he found his healing. Okay. But he says that he cannot do conventional therapy. Well, because the format. I just... can't either. I find it. I find it very much like the Catholic Church. Yeah. Uh, so not that I, I mean, I'm not going through therapy now, but when I was going, I was going through grief therapy with for a long time when my father died mm-hmm. years and years ago. And it was very much like the church and it was like, you know, so I can totally understand why a person needs a specific kind of therapy yeah, versus just general therapy. Yeah. Because if, if. I but mean, it was it was just like this. Someone seeing across the room, staring into your eyes, you talking about these really emotional things. Like he just can't do it. Yeah. Well, that's what that's what the manipulators do, right? They learn how to talk like a regular therapist, right? Like they, 
It's a manipulation tactic. Mm-hmm. So you, so yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, but like Larry, when I say you guys moving on Isabella, I mean, he would like go into her bedroom and stroke her hair mm. until she fell asleep. Mm. Oh, Isabella. And then, um, eventually he just told the house that he's moving into her room. He said, I'm going to sleep on the floor, but she needs someone to help her. Her ex-boyfriend, I think Isabella had just gone through a breakup. He found out and he's like, this is fucking weird. This is so inappropriate. I hate him. Right, And the rest of the house are just kind of like, well, fuck you. You know, like. We're a dream colony and everything's good and right and blah, blah, blah. And you're a suppressor. Mm -hmm. You're a suppressive person. And then, so... The semester passes of him sleeping in a room, stroking her hair. God Isabella's knows room. Isabella's room. Yep. Yeah. In his house. And yep. his like daughter's fine with it. Everyone. Can, also, if my dad <coughs> was sleeping on the floor of another 20 year old's bedroom, I, I would have. I would have huge problems, like in a rash, in a rational world, right? So that really dictates the kind of irrationality that was going on in this dorm type townhouse, right? Most certainly, yeah, yeah. Um, it gets so much worse though. So that's like the first semester, and then that Christmas, right before Isabella flies home for break, Larry calls her family uh. and says that. She had been sexually abused as a child by a family member. Uh, and that's why she's not going home for Christmas. Uh, and so her family is just like, we need to talk to our daughter. Like, we need to get her help. Is this true? Like, they're in chaos. Anybody fly home? Anybody fly back to rescue Isabella? It was unclear. I was really just skimming the article. But, like, throughout this, there are parents who are, like, going up to Sarah Lawrence trying to um, lodge complaints against Larry the dean is just kind of like, he's allowed to visit his daughter. Like, there's nothing that I can do. He's there's, allowed to visit his daughter. He's they, not allowed to move the in. The dean said that there was no proof that he was living there. I don't think they tried very hard to find it. Obviously was. not. Um, And then the kids are just refusing to, like, see their parents, talk to their parents. Like, nothing. So, Isabella is staying that Christmas with Larry, his daughter, and then his daughter's boyfriend. And the boyfriend actually went on record to say he controlled every aspect of our lives once we were in the apartment. When we ate, what we did, when we went to bed. Um, Larry told uh, Talia, his daughter's boyfriend, to stop taking his antipsychotic medication that were <gasps> prescribed to him by a professional. Oh, no. So, I don't have his name. I'm just going to call him boyfriend. No, no, that's fine. Boyfriend was so disturbed by Larry's behavior that he broke up with Talia um, as soon as the break was over. Oh. So, I mean, I'm glad for him that he was able to, like, recognize and just be like, no, like. I'm glad that he realized that the antipsychotic meds were working and he was in, like, this place where everything was good and fine. But and, it was he, like, re- and he recognized that this guy is off his fucking rocker. And he starts putting, like, all of these kids on meds. He does not have a medical degree. He doesn't have, like, even, a, like, a therapy license. Like, he is just. So where is he getting the meds? Do we know? I have no idea. Um, Black market? So Larry returned um, for the spring semester. 
Uh, spending most of his nights in Isabella's room. Uh, of course. He has crushed- probably not on the floor anymore. Mm-hmm. Just so we're. Yeah. That's. I'm not he saying has- anything. I'm just saying, like, that's the manipulation yeah. ladder. He, he has these house meetings, family dinners. You're starting to feel mandatory. Um, and then there's like this one night where he gathers everyone together and begins lecturing something called Q4P, which is a type of philosophy that is called Quest for Potential. And it was created oh, by one of Larry's friends. Fuck off. Who is a diamond dealer who, quote, moonlights as a philosopher. Right. And and pro- probably prolific gambler and sex addict. Yeah. Like, come on. So you're starting to see these, like, layers towards cult. It's like, in the beginning, it was him just, like, being good guy. Here's some pizza. Mm-hmm. And then I need, I can, I'm the one that can help you. Now he's injecting his own worldviews. Yep. Onto them. He's broken them down. Yeah. And now applying everything that he needs to do to control them. Um, It's also this semester that he diagnoses one of the women with schizophrenia. Oh, so he, he diagnoses. So she starts meeting privately with him. Oh, my God. And then that summer, <clears throat> uh, Larry took arguably the most fragile housemates and moved them into his apartment in East Harlem. Oh, he has his own apartment? Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. look at that. And it's so weird because he's doing these, like, wild renovations. I'm sure the landlord is thrilled. Um, Also, uh, after dinner, everyone would gather in the living room for a, quote, marathon discussion in which the group interrogated one person basically about everything. That sounds like the Manson family. Yeah. And so the person being questioned um, would also would often be because they did something that they didn't like. For example, scratching a pan, breaking a plate. That's totally Manson family. Yeah, and Larry would say that this is, like, rooted in childhood trauma. Ugh. And uh, so the group's sessions were aimed at revealing these, like, deep personal truths. So Daniel, you know, the kid who thinks he might be gay, right. is, like, doing this. Um, Larry was able to convince Daniel that the reason he played the ukulele Aww. was because of trauma inflicted on him by his father. Okay. What? No. No. I don't. uh, I can. I don't know. It's just like, no. I have no words. Like, I'm so. Like, I have no words. I'm trying to think of something, like, poignant and witty to say. So it turns out Larry just didn't like the ukulele because he told Daniel to smash. the ukulele? He told Daniel to smash the instrument in front of the group as an act of closure. off. Who doesn't love it? If you don't like the ukulele, you're a goddamn communist. I mean, it's kind of annoying, but it's cute. I'm not going to tell anyone (laughs) to not play the ukulele. Pretty voice. And it's like. You can play Summer Over the Rainbow on it. I mean, come on. Anyway, so parents start getting really suspicious. Claudia, one of the women. Finally. Finally. Her her dad went to the dean. He's like, there's nothing we can do. The dean admitted that they'd gotten multiple complaints about Larry. (laughs) Um, At least they admitted it. Like, usually they'd be like, no, I don't don't know anything about that. Yeah, it's crazy. And then also, so like uh, Larry, and like also during these group sessions, he's doing these like private meetings with the kids where he like takes out his journal and he's like, write down that your father abused you and that's why you play the oh, ukulele. 
you know? And so he's getting this, like, dirt on them. I have to tell you, if I had called my parents when I was in college in the dorms and told them this was happening, my father would have come in like Rambo and just completely fucking removed me from the situation and found me another place to go to school. And, you know, like, yeah, it was the late 80s, early 90s, but, like, he he knew people like this. Like, every man knows a guy like this. And, and you know your daughter is going to go out into the world and be subjected to some fucking freakazoids. Mm-hmm. Like, you do. You know that. My dad knew it. He, that's why I am the way I am now. <laughs> so, I don't understand. I, there's, there's this legitimately there's a huge part of me that doesn't understand why dads don't know that like their daughters are off at college and they're going to be exposed to all kinds of weird shit and their antennas aren't going up in the early stages i think that their antennas were going up i think it's just you're kind of playing chicken with them a bit because uh like I'd imagine that a lot of parents are so worried about losing contact with their kids that they're willing. But you know where your kid is. And this is what I'm saying. Like, my dad knew where I was. He'd roll in with his fucking tank, bulldoze the entire town, shove me inside, and off we go. Like, that's it. I don't know. I think it's kind of, like, I think a little bit about, like, Trusting families. your child's judgment. No, no, not that. It's like families of someone who's in a domestic abusive situation where it's like mom might know daughter married a guy that is like strangling her. But like, what does the family do? Especially if like daughter is like denying it, like these kids were denying it. If like daughter is like living with the abuser. I mean, I think that it is like a lot harder to to deal with than we would like to think. I mean, I don't know. I kind of understand where the parents are coming from. Like, could they get like arrested for trying to break into this dorm? Like if their kids don't want to see them or they like, could Larry like hurt their children if they try to do something or like, I get all of those nuances. I really do. But I'm just wondering what kind of red flags these parents had. I mean, I think, I mean, obviously, like with Isabella's family, it was like immediate red flag. Like Larry called them and said that their daughter she's is not sexually abused by a family member. Yeah. And she's not coming home for Christmas. She's staying with me. So I'm pretty sure that the parents knew like immediately. But what do they do? They like tried to get him kicked off the campus. And I'm sure they were talking to their kids during this. <laughs> I'm not sure how much contact Larry allowed them. Uh, um, but like, I mean, was... I'm also, also, I just want to say that I'm just being devil's advocate here. I'm not blaming yeah. anybody for anything. I'm just saying like, I'm just trying to understand why this whole thing happened. Because well, it's just really very infuriating. I think he also probably manipulated the school a bit. Oh yeah. Um, he's a narcissist and he's charming and he's this and he's that just like Ted Bundy or whoever it is. We can just like magically float in with his manipulations yeah. and everybody's going to believe him. One more thing that I thought was really messed up is, is that um, so Larry's getting these complaints. He's doing this blackmail. He's doing these intense therapy sessions. 
Larry also really starts targeting Daniel and about like Daniel's sexuality and stuff. And he actually puts Daniel in a situation where he forces Daniel and Isabella to have sex while he's watching. While he's watching. And then later he brings the landlord in. Well, and the landlord and him watch. Uh, and Isabella, Isabella, the article makes it sound like she um, like bought into the reasoning behind it. Uh, Daniel like felt completely forced. I would argue that Isabella was forced as well. But like they were both forced. in her brain, like she was. She's she's already brainwashed yeah. into into the reasoning behind it. But they were both forced. Yeah. The landlord. Let's talk about that for just a second. Did he think it was okay? There's no reporting on that, right? Like, there's no reporting on the landlord being like, "Yeah, I'm in," Mm-mm. or "This shit's fucked up, and I'm gonna go tell somebody." The landlord does eventually kick Larry out, but it was more because Larry took the doors off of all of the rooms and was making like structural changes to the apartment. Perhaps that was his only recourse. Possibly, yeah. Um. Anyway, <clears throat> Larry also starts becoming physically abusive. He would choke them until they passed out. He threatened one with a knife. Uh, he also started like charging the kids money when something would go wrong. So Larry sent an email to one kid that the subject was like, "Prices of your things." Oh no, Larry made one of the kids email him, and. And the the thing said, prices of your things I damaged slash ruined with preliminary total. And the email was five pages long of more 50 items ranging from printer's <coughs> tape to a gas range. And the total amount of money uh, that this kid believed that they owned Larry was almost um, $48,000. Excuse the fuck out of me. Right. They're college students. There's not $48,000 like, in, in that building. This one kid called home and the dad actually flew to New York and then was trying to force his way into the apartment to see the damage. And Larry like wouldn't let him in and told him he's never, like, he's just not going to see his child, you know. And the dad's just like, I don't know what to do. He tried to file a police report and the police were like, sorry, she, she's an adult. Like, we can't do anything. Yeah. I guess I, I like the, yeah. I get that she's an adult, but we've been through enough sex cults in New York City for the cops to be like, hey, you know this what? sounds like a sex cult. Let's just walk in. Let us walk in and do a walkthrough. Yeah. Come on. Scythe Vance, you piece of shit. Let us do a walkthrough. Yeah. Totally. Um, also, the kids are all trying to kill themselves. And when the parents would show up at the hospital, Larry would block the families from seeing them. Um, Larry estimated Larry estimated that there were 12 suicide attempts while they stayed with him. Again, how does Larry block family members from seeing their family members in the hospital? I just, Larry would like stand outside the room, cause a huge scene, and the nurse would just be like, sorry, parents, you have to leave. Because the, the patients would want Larry there. So... Okay, so the manipulation has gotten to the point where the patients have chose Larry yeah. over no, the family. No, totally over, like, every single part of this. It's like with the dad, like, coming to the apartment. It's like the kids have been turned completely against their families. Right. Yeah. Yep. And um, 
I didn't really get into this part too much, um, but eventually um, Larry, like, pimps out one of the girls and she enters sex work on his, like, behalf. Only one? Yeah, I really do think that it was, well, I it, I suspect that maybe there was some, like, sexual abuse going on when people were living there, but, like, the sex work itself, I think, was only one girl. And um, also, Larry starts spinning these, like, conspiracy theories about how everybody's after them. It was something about, like, the EPA and the military and, like, uh, people trying to poison him. And, like, the kids are starting to, like, copy this as well. Yeah. And um, I guess eventually it was just Larry was put on the radar by enough people that the NYPD and the FBI swooped in. And they were eventually able to get him on... Um, like extortion for like that money, forty seven thousand. I mean, I'm sure he extorted. Traffic, yeah, it was extortion, trafficking, and what? Um, I go back up. Oh, by the way, just a side note, since you have not covered it, uh huh. Um, he was disgraced poli- police department head Bernie Carrick's best man at his wedding twenty some years ago. Just so we're clear. Oh yeah, Larry has like this like weird. He's got a weird ties to the police department and the military. Yeah. Who are all now coming out being like, nope, if I had known. I'm like, yeah, you know what? How did you not know? How did you not know? He wasn't really hiding it. I guess I know why Bernie Carrick didn't know because he was in prison for 20 years. Yeah. So that's fine. But. But um, they, all, they all should have known. I'm living at my daughter's dorm room. Really? How is the school okay with that? I don't know. It's an artsy fartsy school, girl. You tell me how the administration works at those places. Because in my school, they'd been like, "You have an extra person in your room." Nope. I, my school wouldn't have gone for it either. Yeah, my school wouldn't have even let my parents stay in my room. Yeah, because they don't know my parents, and there's a lot of other people in the building. No, my school. We actually, like, would have kids who would, like, have guests. And I guess it was really down to, like, the RAs to report because it was a fire hazard was the reason why you were over capacity. Yeah. Our dorms were tiny. Uh, Mine was, too. And you had to register your guests, and they could only stay for two days. We definitely did not have to register anyone. They could stay Friday night and Saturday night (laughs) or Monday night, Tuesday. You know, like, that. so there's a limit. Um which is rational. Like, you could stay the weekend or you could stay whatever. I will say that our school was some, like, light anarchy because I did not ever see any adults outside of class in mealtimes. There just were no adults on campus. There was, like, a security group, but they would just hang out in the office and it's, like, only two guards. That's weird. Well, my school was only, like, 300 kids on a very small... Oh, okay. What? No, I'm like, we had, I think I had like 5,000. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like 300 kids. The plot of land that it's on is maybe like a square mile. Okay. If even, it is like. Now I have a full understanding of what this is. Like, yeah, no, I get it. (laughs) I had a a much smaller uh, campus and it was a state school, but it was a smaller campus, but it was still 5,000 students. Yeah. Yeah. No, this was tiny. But it, it, but what it meant was, was that a lot of responsibility was on students for obeying the rules. Yeah, and a That's lot of like, though. like RAs were very held up to that. So, like, in the, this situation could not have happened at my school because an RA would have been like, "This is fucking weird." And the RAs were always older students 
who I think were like would have been less likely to get like roped into something like this because mm-hmm. they didn't have those like relationships with the other kids in the dorm. Right. How big is Sarah Lawrence as a as a school, uh, student population? Let me look it up. I think it's pretty small. Probably not as small as St. John's. Sarah Lawrence. Um, about one thousand five hundred students. Okay. Uh, 1,300 in undergrad. Okay. So that's pretty small. I mean, it's very small. I mean, I went to, in I, in the Midwest, I went to a small state school, uh-huh. which is 5,000 kids. And, you know, like it wasn't the U of M by any stretch of the imagination, but it was a small school. And so that's what my idea of what a small college is. <laughs> that's 1,300 is small. For a college. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just like a wild story. I don't actually have really anything on the police investigation itself, but I really just think everything's just kind of like snowballed. I'm pretty sure it's all going to come out shortly. Yeah, true. I mean, there's probably a lot. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah. Now he's going through the trial. But I can't believe like Isabella, I think that she was one of the people. She was like the one that was turned into a sex worker, possibly. She, Yeah, she's the one that he slept on the floor. And... Fully manipulated her, and it, and we don't know if it was she was the sex worker or not. But if she's if she's already they named the one. If she's already in that. It wouldn't surprise me that he put her out. Yeah, uh, as trafficked. Or <sighs> time, actually. I know. I'm glad we didn't talk about politics this week because I would have started crying. Really? So I'm glad about this. Um, we can cover a serial killer next week. That sounds interesting. I have a New Jersey serial killer Ooh. that just went through a trial and um, in September and was convicted. Uh, it's a really good story. I can put something together for that next week if you want. Yeah, that would so definitely be good. It's nice to not do politics for a hot second since the world is yeah. crumbling around us. Rage Against the Machine people, though. Get out and vote. Vote. Let me see. I can't find it here. But yeah, Isabella is definitely one of the like main victims. Yeah. Unfortunately. Oh, totally. So I hope that she gets the help that she needs. Ugh. All right. Um, yeah, serial killer. That's that's awesome. We sounds, are a true crime podcast after all, and it's been a while. True, we are a true crime show and we do get wrapped up politics once in a while, but um yeah. I can let's do the serial killer next week. And unless something, you know, unless the world ends, we'll do that. Breaking news. Trump becomes king of universe. Oh, he already put a tweet out about that. Anyway, thank you for joining us on Crime Talk BK. Um, this is Joanna Perfitch and Megan Duffy. Uh, please join us uh, next Saturday from 11 a.m. to noon. Later days.